companies never lead with their best offer. Yeah. Ever, ever. Why would you think about any negotiation you've ever been in? Has anyone led with their best offer? No. No. And people have a tendency to think, well, I just need the job or you'll gain more respect if you negotiate. Hey friends, welcome to The Good Life with Michelle Lamoureux, a show for women in midlife who want to live happier, healthier, and more meaningful lives. I'm your host, Michelle Lamoureux, a self-love coach and the author of Design a Life You Love, and together we're going to be doing just that. Each week I bring on world-class experts, best-selling authors, leading entrepreneurs, and also do solo casts with the intention of inviting you to get connected to what you really desire from your life. This show is produced with love every week. There's inspiration and actionable tips in every episode because I want to see women playing a starring role in their lives instead of living on the sidelines. Be sure to join the Good Life Community newsletter over at thegoodlifecoach.com for more inspiration and tips to live your best midlife. And make sure you're following the show on your favorite podcast player. I'm so glad that you're here. Hey friend, it's Michelle Lamoureux and welcome back to The Good Life. Today, we're going to be learning from an expert on the art of the interview. Joining us is Anna Papalia, who's the author of Interviewology, The New Science of Interviewing. She's a career influencer with over one and a half million followers across all social media platforms. And she's consulted with Fortune 100 companies, taught at Temple University's Fox School of Business and coached over 10 thousand clients to interview better. Her groundbreaking discovery of interview styles revolutionized the way we teach and understand interviewing. Welcome, Anna. Thank you so much for having me, Michelle. How are you? I'm well. I'm I'm excited. I have not had to do a job interview in easily over 20 years, but as a podcaster, I'm interviewing people all the time. I think interviewing is an interesting, it's an art, it's a skill. um, And something I never really thought about in terms of going for a job interview until I read your book about how people kind of wing it. I just never really realized like, and I was, I was director of marketing at um, a law firm and I used to hire people and it made me really reflect both on my own interviews, like when I was being hired and when I was interviewing others and kind of the things that I was looking for and whether that was the right way to approach it. Certainly. I think a lot of people wing it. And we also know that over 90% of hiring managers are never trained to interview, um, which is somewhat shocking. I sort of expected job seekers to be the ones that were unprepared. Um, But it also depends on your interview style, um, how much you prepare or how you prepare. You know, some interview styles um, prefer to sort of wing it (laughs) and they don't want to sound scripted. So it really depends on, on your perspective and your personality. Yeah, well, it can cost a company a lot of money to make the wrong hire. So it seems like something they should be investing in. So so take us into how you got into this, because clearly you see a gap and you're trying to solve for that. But how did you come upon this yourself? Certainly. So previously, I was a director of talent acquisition in the corporate world. 
And I was the corporate gatekeeper. I was responsible for hiring everyone in the organization from mail clerks on on up to executive vice presidents. I partnered with the C-suite. I worked with everyone. And quite frankly, I loved my job. I, I had a fantastic boss and I could still be working there to this day. But I, I start in 2010, I started to get this sort of rumbling, this calling that I wanted to do something different. And I was getting a little bit of judgment fatigue being in that role. And I started coaching people as I was in phone screens or interviewing. And I was in, in interviews, I started to think to myself, well, geez, if you just said this, you'd get the job or if you just presented it this way. And that's what began my my sort of the infancy of an idea of starting a coaching practice just solely focused on teaching job seekers and hiring managers how to interview better mm. because i partnered with hundreds of hiring managers in the corporate world and saw that you know they they didn't have any resources or tools and these job seekers weren't being taught unless someone in their family you know was mentoring them so i i i set out in 2011 i i quit my very comfortable corporate job I, I told the president that I had a dream and that's literally all I had. I didn't have a business plan. I didn't have anything. And he told me I had moxie and that I should go and and do it. And I did and took a month off. And then very quickly after that, I got a phone call from the dean of the risk management department where I had hired all of my interns for the intern program that I had built. And he said, you know what all the students are doing right and wrong? Why don't you come in here and 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 redesign our entire program and teach wow. the students how to get internships and jobs after graduation? And what an incredible opportunity. I mean, I literally wow. like put it out into the universe. Like I felt, you know, kind of ridiculous to be honest with you. Like I'm leaving this very comfortable corporate job and to do something that doesn't exist in the world. And this is sort of a crazy harebrained idea to teach people how to interview, how niche. And then a couple months later, I got this fantastic opportunity and I ended up teaching at Temple for 12 years. Wow. Um, and so in that process, the first five years, um, I taught three three-hour interview skill workshops a week, hundreds of mock interviews and resume reviews. It was like getting a PhD in interviewing. And in that process, I also had my first child in 2015. Mm-hmm. And the way having a child opens you up it makes you more open-minded to the world. And I was also seeing hundreds of college students a year. And I started to realize that maybe the way that we teach people how to interview isn't the right way. And it's all predicated usually on memorize these perfect answers or do it this way. And I, when I really started to stop and examine the in- interview advice I was giving or the interview advice that's out there, I had a light bulb moment that changed my business and myself. I thought, well, what if we don't all interview the same way? Like, what if there are different ways that we go about this, much like love languages or Myers-Briggs, right? Like, and I went to school for psychology. So I thought, I wonder if I could write a personality assessment to help someone determine what their interview style is, because I believe if you interview well, it's all about self-awareness. So if I can help my clients facilitate their self-awareness, we'll have something. And uh, I I started collecting research. Um, I started working with my students and asking them, peppering them with tons of questions about how they go about it and their priorities in an interview and how they get someone to see them as qualified. And over thousands of students, I discovered that we interview in these four distinct ways. And that's what I wrote my book about. It's coming out in January. 
Okay. So I want to unpack a few things you said. The first is this show is really about inviting women to listen to that inner voice and to take action. It doesn't mean that they have to quit their job. And in some cases, maybe it will. It's about adding more of themselves back in. So I think it's really beautiful that First of all, also that your boss supported you because not everyone has that voice because sometimes people will get the opposite. Like, you're crazy. Nobody's going to want that. You shouldn't do that. But you had somebody you respected who gave you some encouragement, which I think is really beautiful. And also you did take a chance on yourself and you trusted what you were feeling. And even though you started in one place, you stayed open to the information that was in front of you. And you pivoted again to now create this, you know, would you call it a methodology? I mean, it's interviewology. It seems like it um, to many in many ways, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I consider it a framework, you know, framework. We, we, we need a framework to, to better understand how we interview. We needed tools backed in science and research. Um, and, and thank you uh, for that compliment. I, to your point, I, I think that if that is if, if there's a through line in my career or in my life, it's that I have always, always followed that voice. Um, I, I truly believe in that, and I hope to empower my followers, my readers. Uh, you know, I, I hope that that's something I can do in this process in teaching people that it's a really valuable way that you uh, navigate through the world is that inner voice, and often it's easy to ignore it because it's quiet and it's deep inside of you. And all the other messages are really loud and they're blaring and you hear those constantly. So you're, you're getting bombarded by those more often than your inner voice. But I unfortunately was born with an inability to, to not listen to it. (laughs) Like mine's really loud. So I kind of, I kind of can't not listen to it. I love it. Um, It goes a little off where we're going, but it's still very relevant to why women show up for this show. How how does your voice speak to you? Because maybe, you know, I've never really asked people this. We've talked about how they've listened to their voice. I've shared my story, but maybe it's helpful for somebody who's listening to know how it might show up. Like, what did that look like or sound like or feel like in your body that made you pay it, start paying attention? I'm sure this is probably sounds different for other people, but I can speak to what it feels like for me. Um, I've thought long and hard about this because the tough part about being an adult is trying to decipher, was that, you know, my brain or was that my gut, you know, was that best advice or where's this coming from? Yes. I'll I'll share a short story. In fact, Um, one of the first times I remember quite vividly feel it's a feeling and a hearing all at the same time. Um, I was uh, shopping for a place to live, an investment property that I was also going to live in. And I remember walking up the stairs with the realtor and taking left into the living room and looking out the window and hearing this deep voice so deep inside of me that said, you'll buy this building. Oh, I got goosebumps. I'm uh, twice now since I'm talking to you, I got goosebumps. <laughs> Literally, I can feel it. I mean, mm-hmm. that's so powerful. And I remember the Wait, time- Wait, you'll buy this building? Mm-hmm. The building. You'll buy this building. Yeah, it was It was, it was. was like a small apartment building. Yeah. And um, and I I remember the time thinking, well, that's, that's a crazy thought, you know, like- and um, I'm so glad I had that deep knowing to fall back on because the, the closing process was was fraught with so many problems. It was 2010. Anyways, so I, I just 
so there are many times in my life where I go back to moments where I've heard it and it also catches my attention because it sounds different and it feels different. It is this deep, deep knowing that comes from like literally the bottom of my stomach. It feels like it, it, it comes from my soul. It sounds different. You know, we all have an inner monologue. It's not chatter. It's not anxiety. It's just a real clear knowing and it's real short and I get it. And then I just know it. It's just, you just know it. Like someone saying the sky is blue. That's how it happens for me. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Somebody's going to be listening and being like, oh yeah, I've heard that. And I've not been listening to that. And I think, you know, the invitation, a big part of the show is to pay attention and take some action towards it, have curiosity, approach it with some sense of play and just see where it goes. You don't, you know, have to, like I said, make it your vocation, but maybe, you know, if it's loud enough, maybe that's literally what you need to be doing. Cause I do think it's our soul reminding us why we're here, our soul prompting us Our, you know, I think that intuition is that connection to something higher. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, just for fun, when people meet you, do they like corner you in parties looking for advice the way doctors <laughs> ask, get asked about health issues? They must, right? I, I uh, can imagine. Yeah. I, um, well, now that I, I have a pretty large following on social media, I'm starting to get recognized in public, which is a whole very strange event in and of itself. Yeah. And, um, and then when that happens, there's, there's certainly a, you know, take me by the shoulders. You know, I, I walked into a furniture store and this lady was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Are you on TikTok?" I was like, yeah. <laughs> she was like, you helped me get this job. And I was oh like, Oh my gosh. That's that's outstanding. And I'm just like, but I'm in my head, I'm like shopping for a chair. I'm like, do you have that chair in blue? You know, like I'm still, you know, I'm still catching up and getting used to it. But certainly it's also been um just the type of person that I am. My whole life, people have come to me for advice. So it's it's no wonder I have found myself in a coaching profession. Totally. And you studied psychology too. So it's all, like you said, the through line, it's all lining up. The dots are Mm -hmm. all aligning (laughs) in in such a good way. All right. Well, you mentioned there were four different interview styles. Can you take us through what they are? So maybe somebody can recognize theirs. Absolutely. So, you know, I can give you the overview and we can talk about it, but the, the best way for sure is for you to take our interview style assessment, because sometimes you think you're one way, or maybe this is the way you are at home, but it's not the way you are in an interview, but yes. Uh, at the, you know, we have uh, four distinct ways we go about getting someone to see us as qualified. The first is charmers who prioritize making a connection and they want to be liked. Charmers are, um, they're fun and they're friendly and they're warm and they want to make a connection. They look at an interview like a performance and they are the star of the show. And then we have challengers who are extroverted, but not as accommodating as char- as charmers. Challengers look at an interview like a cross-examination. They show that they're qualified by asking tough questions, mm. by um, making sure that nothing is left unsaid. Challengers want to be respected and heard in an interview, which is different than charmers. Charmers want to make that connection. Challengers want to put a stake in the ground. This is who I am. And then we have examiners. And examiners are more introverted. They're private. They make a very um, quiet and private impression. They're very businesslike, very professional, because they focus a lot on the job and how they're qualified. Because ultimately, examiners look at interviews like a test that they are either going to pass or fail. 
And often they might even give like too little information because they're so worried about, you know, talking about stuff too much, you know, or revealing too much. Unlike charmers, examiners um, really focus just on the facts and the figures and how they're qualified. They want to be seen as qualified where charmers want to be liked. And then lastly, we have harmonizers and harmonizers are the polar opposite of challengers. Harmonizers look at an interview like a tryout for a team that they want to join. They're collaborative, they're warm, they're easygoing. The last thing that they want to do is rock the boat. Mm. Unlike a challenger who wants to put a stake in the ground, a harmonizer uses words like we and us, and they talk about the collective and they think about how they can fit into the company as a whole, Mm. which is much different than the perspective of a challenger. I love it. Actually, the interview I did before we logged on today was um, with a guy who's got a company called Type Coach, which is all based on personality preferences, which I'm trained in too. We actually worked together. He was an attorney when I was marketing director. And um, I think anything that helps you better understand yourself so you can work with it is so valuable, but nobody's done this for interviewing. And just like with type preferences, what I understood from your book is that there's no right or wrong interview style, right? I think that's important to mention, right, Anna? Incredibly important because I'll tell you going into this collecting research, my hypothesis was, well, I'm really good at interviewing. So I'm going to discover that my style is the best. And <laughs> I'm you're a charmer, right? That, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I was cocky <laughs> and collecting the research humbled me <laughs> in such a wonderful way. And a lot of hiring managers are, right? If you've spent 20 years hiring people, you start to believe that, like, you know what, you know what it is, you know, how many headlines have we seen, you know, this CEO has the question, you know, they'll reveal if they're a good hire, that sort of thing. It it couldn't be further from the truth. That's not the way it works. And in collecting my research, I discovered, you know, we had over 800 students in the program and they were getting internships offers and full-time offers after graduation. And it would have revealed that, you know, if that were the case, that, you know, all the, you know, the charmers were getting the offers, but that wasn't the case. There was an equal distribution of interview styles getting offers. Mm. And it helped me realize that just because someone interviews differently doesn't mean it's bad. It's just different. And we learn this, right, in 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 the, the type coaching and also when you learn your Myers-Briggs or DISC or love languages, mm-hmm. you know, just because your love language is physical touch and theirs is acts of service, it doesn't mean it's wrong. It's different and you have to learn how to compromise. Yes. Similarly to interview styles, when you're interviewing, your wires may just be getting crossed. And when I teach hiring managers how to interview better, it's about becoming more open-minded First, understanding your preferences. Because I'm a charmer, I want to make a connection. This person came in guns blazing, asking me all these tough questions before we built rapport. That's going to put me off. Mm. And that's okay. And I wanted Mm. us to have a language to talk about this in debriefs. And that's what I hope my book and my research will do for you know the 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 world of talent and, and interviewing and for all of us. So when you go into prepping for an interview, you know better what your preferences are because that's where our biases come from. And is the idea that we would adapt our preferences based on the hiring manager and a hiring manager would adapt based on the candidate, meaning would they shift if they saw like what you mentioned, the charmer interviewing maybe an examiner or, you know, somebody that isn't what they were expecting. They were expecting someone like them. Is what what should we take away from it? 
I want to be really careful here because I don't want anyone to think that if they're in an interview and they notice that this person's something else that they should like pretend to be something that they're not or, yes. or you know, like, but I do think we all know this in interviews that you do have to maybe turn up the volume a little bit or you have to meet that person. You have to compromise. You have to shift just a little bit. And knowing what your natural baseline is helps you shift authentically. Yes. So you're not going in just completely pretending to be something else. Because here's the issue. A lot of interviewing advice tells you, go in there, memorize these perfect answers, and you'll get the job. And just pretend to be something you're not. Just get your foot in the door. That is the worst advice ever. You yeah. imagine getting that advice anywhere else in your life. It's it's crazy. Yeah. You know, because how long are you going to pretend? And I think that the more you fake it in the job interview, yeah, the worse the job fit, the worse the culture fit. So I encourage people to be very authentic and be themselves. And obviously, no, like if if you're not clicking with someone in the interview, you can adjust or turn up the volume just a little bit or turn the volume down if you're an extrovert. Um, but not you know, not completely change yourself to, to suit this person. That doesn't work. Yeah, that's such great advice. And of course, you want people to be authentic in who they are because you want to be hired for who you are, not who you're pretending to be. But I even remember back from my very first interview, you know, is that a law firm for was a paralegal job? And people were like, you should be able to answer what's if you were an animal, what animal would you be and why? And I remember uh -huh. thinking, wait, why do I need to know that? And why? And then you would get questions like that. And in fact, my daughter who's in high school got a question like, you know, some sort of random question, like, what color would you be? I think you talked about some guy, some CEO said, uh, he said, do you want to know the one question I will ask all my qu candidates? If you were a crayon, what color would you be and why? And he puffed his chest up and expected me to praise him. And you said, why would you ask that question? So why are we asking these questions? Why are hiring managers doing this? Okay, so there are five types of interview questions. And that type of interview question is called a personality question. And it has a time and place. These are great questions if you're asking them for the right reasons, right? So we have standard interview questions, we have technical questions, we have behavioral questions, like tell me about a time you dealt with a tough customer. And then we also have brain teaser questions, which can also be in the kind of the realm of personality questions where you might ask someone, why are manhole covers round? You might ask this question to somebody who has to think on their feet, maybe an engineer, right? That's a phenomenal interview question for that person. Which one, the but, color or the animal or either? <laughs> no, the, the, the manhole cover. Oh, right? the manhole cover. Okay, yeah. Right. So the personality question where, you know, if you were an animal, what type of animal would you eat? What they're, what they're looking for is they want to get to your personality. They want to see what makes you tick. And they're doing it by, you know, a lot of interview questions are formulaic. So we, they ask you a personality question to, to throw you off a little bit. They want to see you think on your feet and they want to see how you react under pressure. And if you can equate yourself in that moment to, you know, what are some good qualities? Okay, I'm loyal and I'm wise. I'm an owl, right? Or <laughs> something like that. Totally. Um, so there are lots of great animals you can use. Those are the reasons why people ask those. Okay. Now, should they ask them all the time? No. You know, hiring managers need to ask the right interview questions for the right jobs. I also think we need to conduct structured interviews where hiring managers are thinking of questions that come right from the job description, not just like on a whim, you know, not like what color. The, that CEO who I talk about in the book, um, he was hiring for like plumbers and electricians. Oh. 
Uh. And I said, why, why does it matter what color crayon they are? Are you going to hire all the red crayons? What does that mean? What does it matter? Right. And this is how we create like-minded cultures. Mm. And this is how we create biased organizations. So it's something we have to be really careful of when we're hiring because we are in a position of power. We have to be really careful about the question. It's not just pulling some question out of thin air. Personality questions and brain teasers have their time and place, but for the right jobs, you know, in the right interviews. Okay. This is so good. Um, you write estimates are that poor hires can cost upward of 17000 to 224000 per person and lost productivity and training hours. It's not worth being unprepared. So what strategies should companies use to avoid those hires? I think one of the issues, a main issue in our society is that we have a belief that interviewing is something that you're just going to figure out, like dating. Kiss a few frogs, you'll eventually figure it out. (laughs) In the corporate world, we don't even train hiring managers how to make the most important business decisions. It baffles me. I talk about it all the time on my platform, and I obviously talk about it in my book coming up. It's It, to me, is... It's it's such a, a blind spot in, I was, let me make a confession. As a director of talent acquisition, I had all the power. I had never been trained to interview. Mm. And as far as I could tell, nobody else had been either. And there was no structure. There was no formula. There was no language. There was nothing based in science and research. And I think you know, to go back to what we talked about earlier, why I had this feeling, this calling to leave my job is because yeah. I was a director of talent. I I loved my job. I loved recruiting, but I just felt something deep inside of me that was like, this needs to be fixed. Yeah. And I had this psychology background and I had this interest and I kind of felt like I was sort of the perfect person to do it and then go out and collect this research. And I feel incredibly grateful that I was given these skills and put in this position to be able to facilitate this, this, um, discovery. And my, my goal is that I hope it helps people. I hope it gives people a language to better understand this process that can feel really difficult, complex, ambiguous, uncertain, you know, figuring out who to hire is not easy. And as we just talked about, incredibly expensive. Yeah. It's interesting because when you, you know, like working with lawyers and sales training, you'd say in order, people like to hire people that they know, like, and trust. So personality does play a big part in terms of a perception of somebody, but that doesn't necessarily mean in terms of a hire that it's the best candidate. Is that true? This is what I'm um, understanding. A million percent. I mean, one, of, one of the biggest problems hiring managers make is they say, I didn't click with that person. Right. I used to be guilty of that. I, yeah. I tell a story in my book that, you know, it was one of my biggest light bulb moments being in the corporate world when I was wondering why I wasn't clicking with someone. And then I realized clicking was not a prerequisite for that job. In in our society, we conduct social interviews, which is a big problem. So it's about fixing the interviews that we have, making them more structured, and then also having a better understanding of our preferences and our biases when we go into the process. And absolutely 100% all hiring managers that I've ever worked with, and there have been hundreds of them, their pre- your preference is always how you interview. And I also mm. found this in my research, right? 
we prefer people who are like us. So if you're a challenger, you're going to prefer other challengers. If you're a harmonizer, you're going to prefer other harmonizers. And then it makes hiring difficult because, you know, there's an equal distribution of all four interview styles. So there's 75% of the world that's not like you. Yes. So everyone else, your wires are going to get crossed with those people. And you're going to be seeking out people. And, and hiring managers make this mistake quite frequently as they hire mini-me's is what we say in the corporate world, you know, because totally. comfortable. It's very easy to, to manage people who are like you. Yes. We don't need another you. We need we need diversity. We need people that have a different skill set. You know, I, I'm very good at um, being client-facing and I'm very good at sales and I'm very good on camera. So I need somebody who's great at spreadsheets and details because I hate that stuff. Totally. This is really so important. I'd like to switch it to candidates because as we were talking before I hit record, I know a lot of women in their 50s and midlife. Um, and it's actually not just women. It seems like, and obviously I don't expect you to have any data specifically on this, but it does seem that there's a lot of people I know suddenly in midlife who are getting laid off, people who've been in their jobs 10, 20 years, they're at senior levels, and suddenly it seems like they've become dispensable. What advice can you give to that person and my audience is women, to women listening, to build back their confidence? Because that's a huge blow when you've maybe even helped shape the culture of an organization. Like I'm thinking of one friend, it's like, gosh, you you did pretty much everything for them and then suddenly they're showing you the door. Certainly. It's demoralizing. Yes. Um, getting laid off or fired at every at any point in your career is is um traumatic and it it launches in you into such a an incredible amount of uncertainty because obviously we work for money, but also a lot of our self-worth and our purpose and what we do every day is tied up in in our jobs, especially if we have careers that we love. And getting that blow when you have um, invested in an organization can be, you know, deeply traumatic. And I think one of the problems I see with clients of all ages when this happens is that they start to, you know, they get this sense that, well, they might be onto something or maybe they're right, or maybe I don't have any valuable skills. And I try to coach my clients into reframing their thinking and focusing on their transferable skills and focusing on what they have done. In fact, I've also coached women who stayed home for 10 or 15 years to raise children, or perhaps women who left work to care for a, a dying spouse or parent. Mm -hmm. And then they try to get back into the working world and they're like, well, what skills do I have? And I'm like, oh my gosh, if you raised children, you could run the world in my oh, mind. You know, yes, as a mom, yeah. I'm like, you have all the skills. And I think in that moment, you need a coach or a friend to, to say to you, what you have and what you've done is incredibly valuable. And don't let this momentary thing shake your confidence. Don't yes. let this ruin your perception of your career and your successes. Those successes still exist and you will go and you will find something in a company that honors them and needs you. And I also often think when people get laid off, it's a sign, right? It's it's the world pushing you out of the nest in a way. It doesn't not all the time, but that I've worked with so many people that have been laid off that were like, oh, I, you know, I probably should have left a couple of years before. And there was writing on the wall and I ignored that intuition that I ignored. So it's kind of a wake-up call for you to go, aha, okay, 
I, I get another chance to do this. And so it's partly don't let it shake your confidence. And then the other part is like, you know, take the world, you know, on and, 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 and now you've got this new opportunity to get something new, to level up in a whole new way. Right. And listen to maybe what your inner voice has been whispering to you in the direction that you could be going in. Um, and I was going to actually ask that for women who are reentering and they do have that gap. Um, I think people do worry about what's the story I'm telling, what's the messaging I'm giving, or even somebody who was laid off, what's the perception, you know, let's say it's in a, I don't know, in some sort of field where people know the the players and they're like, oh, wait, why aren't you there anymore? And you want to be able to tell the story on your terms because who knows, maybe it was a financial reason that they let you go. And that has nothing to do with your your credibility or your your ability to contribute to another organization. I encourage my clients all the time by telling them that people that have been laid off and fired get rehired all the time. And I know it feels real personal. And I know it feels like, oh my gosh, how am I going to get over this? But as someone who's hired thousands of people, I've seen it on so many resumes, right? Fired at a certain point or you're laid off. And the way you present it and the way you you talk about it and the narrative is, is to take responsibility and to talk about the lessons that you learned in the interview, to to be open to and, and be honest, right? There's no way you can hide it in the interview process and tell them what you learned from it. And that is moving in an interview. Mm. Don't try to pretend, don't try to act, you know, don't try to act too strong. Just, you know, take it on head on. Yeah. Um, you know, I was laid off from my last position. They were downsizing for some financial reasons. But let me tell you about all the wonderful things I accomplished there. Ooh, I my that. transferable skills and and what I could do at your organization. Yeah. Is there ageism? There must be. I have a friend who looks 30. She's in her 50s. She has a resume, so it does. you can't really figure out her age. And she was just finding that maybe there could be some ageism, but people don't know how old she is. Um, and she felt that she needed to do that because she didn't want to be discriminated against because she is in her 50s. So how does somebody navigate that if it does exist? And obviously there's other discrimination that exists, um, right? So how do people navigate those sort of known barriers or issues? Well, it's incredibly difficult to navigate those because this hiring process is incredibly flawed with lots of bias and pervasive racism and systemic um, sexism, um, obviously from right down to, you know, women aren't paid equally to men. We could go on and on and on. It not only exists, but it's pervasive. Um, you know, there's been lots of studies done that, you know, they had the same resumes and they just changed the name on the resumes. And the applicants with African-American sounding names had to apply 15 to 15 more opportunities than the names that were Caucasian sounding. So it's not only gender and race and age. I mean, there's so much bias in the interview process. How you deal with it, it's like coping with something when you know you're about to start a marathon. You're like, okay. There's some obstacle here that you can't really get around. Yeah. And there's no real way, you know, there are ways that I coach companies on how to fix this and how to yeah. do it better. Yeah. And those are those are structural issues that we need to change in the corporate world. But as far as a job seeker, 
there's nothing you can really do about it. You you are powerless to the hiring process. And that's what makes looking for a job feel so unbelievably demoralizing and, yeah. and hard. What's a common interview myth that people have? <laughs> there are so many, um, and there are several that I unpack in the book. I think obviously one of them in the framework for this book and all the work that I've done over the last six years is that we interview the same way. And that that is the core myth and the core framework of, of my methodology, this framework. And what I hope that everyone takes away from my platform in my book is you we don't all have to do it the same way. And there's value in the way that you do it. And I yeah. hope that we, through this research, we value um, the unique interview approaches and perspectives, um, because making complex decisions about people is incredibly difficult. Yeah, and if you do it alone, like I used to as a director of talent, you you are in this vacuum and have, you have a tendency to believe yourself and you get real cocky. But if you have three other people in the room with you, and if I had a challenger, a harmonizer, and an examiner with me mm. who could who could hold me accountable and show me if I'd say, Oh, I don't like that person. They'd go, Oh, well, I really did. I, I really liked the way that they came in and, you know, they were really quiet and observant and that's the way I am in an interview. I would have been like, Oh, right. <laughs> you know, we need accountability. We need support. We, we shouldn't do this alone. And the research proves that if, if we make this more structured, more scientific, and we decrease the ambiguity in hiring, mm. we're going to make better hires. That's incredibly important when it comes to interviewing and knowing that we are the ones doing this and we are flawed as people who are biased. So yeah. knowing that first and foremost is really important and being open-minded. And I think you're, the way that you present is so easily easy to take in. I was watching a lot of your feed and I was like, oh my God, I got to send that to my friend. Oh, okay. Oh, she's talking <laughs> about salary negotiation. Never say this. I was like, oh my God, I got to, you know, so I, <laughs> it doesn't surprise me that it, has exploded in the way that it did. Um, just what what are some common mistakes candidates are making that we can take that they're listening, they can be thinking about? Well, number one, it's not being prepared by not understanding yourself. You know, historically, we've been giving a lot of bad advice that, you know, you need to spend a lot of time researching the company, so much so that I've I've seen clients, you know, tell me that they've spent hours and hours researching the company. And, you know, you have to all that, you know, we know you have to read the company's website and read the job description. But in the most basic sense, an interview is a set of questions about you. They know I know about my company. I don't need you to come into the interview and reflect back to me that you read the website. That is not going to sell you as a candidate. <laughs> what I'm going to spend time doing is asking you questions about you. Yes. And when clients come to me and say that they've been bombing their interviews, I always start with one question. Tell me about your interview prep. And they will always say to me what they what I just told you. I spent yeah. all this time and all this research. And I'm like, well, when when are you spending time, you know, thinking about yourself? And they're like, huh? I'm like, what are your strengths and weaknesses? Why should I hire you? Why do you want to work here? What's your plan for the next five years? And they look at me like, ah. I'm like, well, there's the problem. You need to spend 80% of your interview prep thinking about you. Because wow. you think that you can go into an intimidating boardroom with an intimidating executive 
sitting there boring his eyes through your soul and saying, why should I hire you that you're going to come up with some magnificent answer on the spot? Not going to happen. Yeah. And an interview is a set of questions about you. I developed a tool to help you develop your self-awareness so you can know yourself better, so you can show up authentically and fully empowered in interviews. It's the only way to interview better is to know yourself. It's the only way. It's not about pretending to be something that you're not. It's not about focusing on the company. An interview is a set of questions about you. If you can't answer those questions ahead of the interview, you're not going to do very well. This is such a key takeaway. Um, any advice on salary negotiation? There was one. Well, I know we've been talking that a lot of your audience is women. Yes. So I'll, I'll speak specifically to please, some of the issues please. that women have in this in this area. And that is one of the biggest myths is that I hear this all the time. People are like, well, you know, if this is like, you know, if, if they make them an offer and they're like, well, I, you know, they made me an offer of 80, but I really wanted a hundred, but like, I'll just take 80 and, you know, I'll, I'll just prove my worth and they'll, they'll pay me more. Totally. That would be my I, I don't mindset know. back then for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that never happens, right? You're going to gain more respect if you negotiate. And you and I both know that once you accept a job, they're going to keep you at that salary for two to four years. So the only time you have to advocate for yourself is during the job offer. Mm. And I encourage all of my clients, especially women that hate to negotiate. I say, just say this one thing. They make you the offer and you can start by saying being professional and polite. You just simply say, is this negotiable? And if they want to hire you, they're probably going to say, well, what were you thinking? Or yes. Or if they're absolutely come at the top of the range and they've made you their best offer, they'll say, we've made you our best offer. You can't. And then you know that you can sleep at night, that you got the best offer. Mm. But if they say yes, then you have to be, okay, well, I want five more days of PTO and I'd like a sign-on bonus. And I'd really like to be at a hundred. Can you meet me somewhere closer to that? And almost every time you're going to get more money might not be the whole 20 grand. It could be five grand and maybe some more PTO, but it's better than not asking. Companies never lead with their best offer. Yeah. Ever, ever. Why would you think about any negotiation you've ever been in? Has anyone led with their best offer? No. No. And people have a tendency to think, well, I just need the job or you'll gain more respect if you negotiate. Oh, and you mentioned something. Can you can you differentiate? Yeah, you said save certain questions, like don't ask the hiring manager what. Never ask them what when you should just wait for HR. Yeah, this was actually one of my first viral videos on Facebook. I got like 14 million views. I guess I yeah. hit a zeitgeist at the time. Yes. It was a one minute video on um, questions to ask at the end of the interview. So at the end of the interview, when they say, do you have any questions for us? It depends what questions you're going to ask depending on the, those people. So you're yeah. not going to ask HR people, what are the day-to-day -day responsibilities of the position? Because they don't know. That's not their job. What you ask HR people is, tell me more about the recruiting, the interview process. Tell me more about company culture. Tell me more about the stuff HR people know and care about, right? And then when you get passed on to the round with the hiring manager, you can ask technical questions. You can ask them things like, what projects are you currently working on that I can help you with? You can then ask them about day-to-day -day responsibilities of the position. Knowing who to ask the right questions to makes you look more prepared, more professional, 
And we have a list of both of those questions in an interviewology profile. So if you're interested in discovering your interview style, you can go to my website, take our scientifically valid interview style assessment and repeat and receive a 40 page customized interview prep workbook that outlines everything that you're doing right and wrong. And it tells you if you're a charmer in interviews, this is what you need to work on. This is the impression that you're making. And then it's 30 pages of questions to prepare for and a whole list of questions to ask. There's even a top 10 list of questions to ask in a salary negotiation to get a better offer. After you say, is this negotiable? Where do you take it from there? What are all the things you can negotiate? You know, salary isn't the only thing. You can negotiate a bunch of other things. And we list them all in the profile. I feel like I could ask you so many questions, but I feel like between the book and what we've covered, I just, there's a couple more just quick things. What's changed with resumes for anyone who's kind of getting back into it? Anything new in the resume sphere? Um, well, if they're not three pages of, anymore, right? <laughs> oh, I, I hope they never were. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. So, so sort of a, a rule, a good rule of thumb actually is um, if you have less than 10 years experience, your resume should, should never be more than one page. Okay. If you have more than two years experience, it can be two pages. You should never have a resume more than two pages. Um, I think uh, not trendy, but something that's now pushed even further into what we're doing on best practices is you don't have to put your address on your resume anymore, especially with how uh, prolific uh, virtual jobs are. Um, You don't have to list your address. And hopefully that'll go away because of the bias stuff that happens and, and people that make, you know, judgments on where you live, right? So addresses are coming off, put your LinkedIn link on your resume instead. And instead of an objective, use an executive summary. So we all know what your objective is, it's to get a job. Yeah. An executive summary is summarizing your experience and then helping that recruiter see you know, your transferable skills, especially if you're coming into a different field or transferring into a different industry. I love it. And I love your passion. Is there anything I didn't ask? I'm going to do a couple of rapid fire questions after this, just more for fun, but also to... Um, just anything that I didn't ask that you want to make sure the women listen, listening today, take away from the conversation. I think, you know, specifically for women, you know, in the year of Barbie, right. In, in, in all that we were becoming so empowered, you know, I saw a stat the other day that 60% of women now make up college graduates. Mm. And over 59% of women make up, you know, uh, the, who are, you know, the breadwinners in families. And then I think it's sort of this well-kept secret. Um, we are very powerful, but we are made, especially in the corporate world and in interviews, to think that you have to be submissive to get the offer or that you have to be quiet. And there's a phenomenal book I read a long time ago called Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office. It's a mm-hmm. great resource. I'm sure some of your listeners have read it. And you know, I I would like to just you know stand on the shoulders of that author and and echo a lot of those um, those lessons in that book. And when it comes to interviewing, being um, professional and prepared looks a hell of a lot better than pretending like you don't know what you want or where you want to go. Um, and it feels hard at the beginning, but once you start doing it, you'll you'll come in a lot more respect and self-respect, which is so important. Mm, I have loved this conversation so much. I so appreciate the work you're doing. I think it's so important. And it also makes me hopeful just knowing that you're out there and you're you're educating both sides, which is also, you know, a lot of, a lot of experts are just 
focused on one side, maybe just the organizations, but um, through your social media and all the free education that you do. And now with your amazing book, um, these are rapid fire just for fun. As okay. An, I'm excited. Okay, yeah. Ready? As an <laughs> interview expert during an interview, I would never. Oh gosh. There's so many things I would never Say whatever, do. just whatever comes to you. It doesn't have to be one thing, whatever. I, I would, would never... never, I would never put my hands under the table ever. I would always put my hands on the table. Oh, I love you that. look way more confident when you own your space. And so many people put their hands on their table, they put their hands in their lap and they look like meek, scared children. Ooh. You want to change how you look and feel in an interview. It starts with your body language, put your hands on the table and sit on the edge of the seat and it will change everything. And we know in with the research that scientifically 80% of the impression that you make is nonverbal. Mm. So if you're scared out of your mind, if this is your dream job, I want you to sit on the edge of the seat and put your hands on the table. I would never, ever sit in any meeting with my hands under in my lap ever. So you, would you pull up the chair literally, like literally scooch it up too? Let's say you're sitting or no. No, I'm talking about if you're sitting in a conference room, okay. if you're at a table. Okay. You can't you can't put your hands on someone's desk, right? Okay, so okay. Yeah. That's awkward, right? Yeah. Um, that's a different scenario. But if you're in a meeting or you're yeah. sitting at a table across yeah. from somebody, mm -hmm. don't put your hands in your lap. Okay. And as an interview expert, during an interview, I would always ask oh. questions. Always ask questions. Always ask questions. Well, you're doing a beautiful job with it. Your passion is evident. Your book is fantastic. I'm honored to have gotten to read an advanced copy of it, and I highly recommend it. And anybody can pick it up. It's called Interviewology, the New Science of Interviewing, and it'll be available on the show notes. But you've talked about all these amazing resources and your social media. Let's get people connected directly to you, Anna. Where do I send them? Please come to theinterviewology.com is our website. And then obviously you can follow me on all the social channels, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, uh, wherever you get your social media feed, I'm on there. Uh, please follow me, send me a message, connect with me on LinkedIn. I love that. And uh, yeah, you can pre-order the book on Amazon or any retailer right now. I, I, I love what you're doing and um, I'm excited and everyone really do check out her social media feed. It's so, it's so fun. Like you it's kind of addicting. Maybe that's why so many downloads. Like I was like, oh wait, that's fascinating. Wait, what is she saying about this? Wait, what should I be wearing? Um, so if you're out there in the world or considering it um, or your hiring manager, get dialed into the work that Anna's doing and all of the show notes for today will be over at thegoodlifecoach.com and um, share this with a friend, especially if you have a friend who's out there and losing some confidence or doesn't know how to approach it or re-entering the world of work. This conversation could really make a huge difference. So thank you, Anna. This was fantastic. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Michelle. This was awesome. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I hope you gained some new information or inspiration for your life. That is that the essence of this show is to really wake up to what's possible for you to reclaim your beautiful voice and to really learn to love and prioritize yourself. So if you gained any value from any of the conversations you've tuned into, 
make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. You can do that right now on your phone. And please do consider leaving a rating and review if you have yet to do so on Apple Podcasts. It's actually how more women can find the show. And I really want to grow a community of women who are loving themselves and living full on. So thank you as always for tuning in. And I look forward to reconnecting with you next Wednesday. Bye for now. This podcast is presented for entertainment and educational purposes only. Any information provided is not intended to be a substitute for medical, mental health, or other professional advice. Seek out your trusted healthcare provider or other qualified professional for all matters dealing with your health and well-being. Any opinions or information provided by a guest are their own and not those of Michelle Lamoureux or the company.